Hello and welcome to Rockets, Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Smile. I'm Simone DeRochefort, Senior Video Producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Brianna Wu, Executive Director of Rebellion Pack, and Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft. Welcome to my show. <laughs> I'm Normal recording day. in a van down by the river. Actually, a Dodge Are you Challenger. on your vacation? Your special I, road trip? I am, I am on a road trip. We drove from uh, Boston down to uh, Florida, and I'm enjoying a little bit of sunshine. It's 70 degrees today, which is amazing. What's not Whoa. amazing is Florida traffic and uh, being forced, but I always think ahead. So I packed my uh, microphone and my M1 laptop, and we're recording the show that way oh my goodness amazing <laughs> well thank well, you for your service yes. truly we are gonna start start small today uh with the announcement of twitter blue finally coming to the u.s haha <laughs> twitter's long-awaited subscription service was available in australia and canada and new zealand and we here in the united states of america were waiting and now finally we can give twitter $2.99 a month uh, to be able to undo tweets, uh, have bookmarks folders, have a reader mode for tweet threads, have themed uh, apps and app icons, and theoretically have ad-free article experiences on participating websites uh, with the weird with the caveat that ad-free articles don't let you get past paywalls. Right. Um, and aren't available on Android. <laughs> and also that Twitter Blue still has ads. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's weird because it, it's part of the scroll acquisition. But yes, we can talk about it. Yeah. And then so and I shared, the, I, I, sent, I, I think I sent the best tweet about this. Tell me about your good tweet. I can't believe this website is only $36. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That is a good tweet. Another good tweet I saw was that Twitter Blue, all Twitter Blue does is remove the ability to say, I can't believe this website is free. Um, <laughs> go on, Brianna. What do you think? No, are you somehow suggesting that access to the highest quality journalism available at Business Insider is not worth $3 a month? I mean, come on, it's ad free now. That's uh, to that's be some fair, hot I guess the Verge yes. is also participating in this. Well, the is. Verge is worth it. The Verge is good, um, in my opinion. Thank you. Well, I, anyway, I I I kind of get the the sense of pride because you know, I'm happy to pay for Vox Media and to you know, directly support that, which Twitter Blue helps with. But the undo feature, it's not like your tweet is live and someone is going, hey, there's a typo in your tweet. It's just a freaking modal dialogue yes. screen that pops up with the countdown. It's a timer. Yeah, it's and it's, yeah, tell, it's tell, more describe, like a, describe yeah. the undo function for our, our listeners. <laughs> so let's say you type a, a reply to someone. And rather than just being a reply, it goes to a screen and it's there. And then there's like a slow, I believe, 30-second timer at the bottom that you can adjust down. It. Right. And then you click or you can click send now, which isn't helpful to me at all, right? <laughs> because you you type your bad tweet and then you look at your bad tweet and it looks fine. And then <laughs> 30 seconds later you realize it so um really i i i 
it's like I want to support Twitter because I feel like I get a lot of value from it a year. But the thing I really want are the 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 constant ads for you know the clickbait like you won't believe right. what they look like now or oh, that God. one bra ad for that cheap spandex bra that I get nine million times a day. <laughs> like I want that gone, right? So that's that's what I I, I feel for. you, Christina. What's your experience with it? Yeah, no, I mean, um, I don't get that bra ad. I get some weird ads. I've actually been getting good ads lately. I've been getting this this Kate Spade ad, which is good, but it's also bad because I'm like, it keeps showing me rose gold Kate Spade stuff. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, congrats on getting good ads, though. No, I know. I was going to say, and I don't even opt in to like, I don't even like let them track me. So I don't even know how I'm getting the good ad. But in general, a lot of the ads are not good. I always get the please take this survey thing. And then I take it just for like giggles. And I'm like, why would you ever target me for this survey? (laughs) Um, But yeah, I agree. It is weird that you can get ad-free journalism. And then this came part of an acquisition of a company that they bought called Scroll. And Scroll basically, it was this extension. It was kind of in beta. It was this weird thing where they were like, okay, you'll pay this company a certain amount of money a month, and then they will give you, um, like, ad-free access to a bunch of different websites. And I can't recall if it included the paywall content or not. I don't think it did, but it might mm-hmm. have. I, I don't remember now. Um, it, but but the, that whole thing was you needed to have, like, a special browser extension or log in through their website or whatever, but you could just go directly to theverge.com or whatever, and you could see stuff ad-free. The way that the Twitter integration works, there's a little um, thing underneath the article. It'll say you can view this ad-free, and if you're, you know, on mobile, uh, at least on iOS, it'll show you, you know, like it ad-free when it loads up in the browser. And if you're on the web, if you're on the web, then you know it'll take you to another tab. But it is like this weird experience that you can get some. But like if I go directly to WashingtonPost.com and I don't have an ad blocker, I'm going to see ads. Uh, the same with The Verge. Like I have to click on a link from Twitter to get the ad-free experience. But like Bree said, it is weird that so you get this ad-free access to some of this stuff, but then you don't get you still have ads and promoted tweets on Twitter, um, which a lot of people, I think it seems like what they really want is not to have ads on Twitter.com. So that's yeah, weird. Do you, do you have any insight on, so I think uh, in the Verge piece I read, they said a company spokesperson is like, we're still considering what an ad-free Twitter experience might look like or if we want to do it, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I'm a little bit baffled by it not not annoyed just kind of like huh because i think i sort of naively looked at other subscription services like youtube red and thought or or hulu uh right. premium and thought when i pay money for a thing i get the version of that thing without ads right and this is not the case i mean the with this you you get different features and you get the chance to preview new features, which in a way is just working, giving Twitter money so that you can do QA testing for them. But but also Rose, you're not wrong, but also Rose Gold's um, uh, customized Twitter icons on, on, on iOS. Okay. You're going to have to tell me how to <laughs> activate that because I cannot figure it out. Okay. So on the Twitter for iOS app, you go into the Twitter blue section and then one of the options would be to customize your icon or your theme. And so you can get like a custom theme. And so like mine is purple. And then um, uh, I I pick what icon I I, I look like. So that's cool. 
Um, there's also a feature, and this is only on desktop. This is the other weird thing. Some of these features are only available certain places, but as far as I can tell, all of the things aren't available everywhere. So there's this feature, and this one's actually very good. This is called Top Articles. Um, there was a company called Nuzzle that used to exist. That basically, it was great. It would basically show you an aggregation of like the most read stories that people you follow on Twitter have been tweeting about, and would mm-hmm. kind of like hey, like, you know, 131 people have tweeted this or whatever. And it was a good way of seeing, like, what's bubbling in your own kind of social network. Really good tool. Scroll bought them, shut it down. Then, of course, Scroll was sold to Twitter. So that has made its way back in part um, in a feature called Top Articles. That is um, pretty cool. It, it, does it also, does it show you just what article it is or does it show you the tweets that your friends have done about that It just article? shows you the article, but it shows okay. you like you can click on it and I can, oh no, actually no, you're, you're, you're correct. I, I can't see the tweet. So if I click on, okay, so like the top one today is, is uh, the Verge's background policy um, change. And if I click on it, then I see all the tweets from people that I follow who've tweeted about it. And so I see like what they've said. I can scroll through and I can see that. So that's pretty cool. I like that because I I feel like so often, (laughs) and this is a complaint about Twitter, really, that maybe Twitter is (laughs) solving for me in a roundabout way. So often I will be going through my timeline and I will see something that one of my friends has tweeted with like a good quote tweet or something. And then through some fold in the fabric of space-time, that tweet disappears. Yes. And I'm never served that tweet again. And maybe I just remember like a word of it, but I don't remember which of the many people I follow tweeted the thing. And then I become despondent. Um, It is my greatest (laughs) annoyance. Also, why? What? (laughs) Beating a dead horse here. Why? Sometimes when I click on a tweet to look at it and then go back to the timeline and then decide, wait, I want to click on that tweet and just read the replies again. That tweet is gone forever. Yes. Because I engaged with it? Why Twitter? Anyway, um, so that, that, I like that. Anyway, roundabout way of saying I like that because that would allow me to have a uh, an avenue to find maybe tweets from my friends that I uh, had overlooked or that I had maybe lost in the in the shuffle. Yeah, one good it, tool. It tells you how many articles I've read from The Verge. So it says, according to Twitter Blue, that I've given Vox Media three dollars and ten cents, wow. and uh, and that I've given Business Insider forty cents. I feel good about that split. That's that's good. That's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's not, yeah, that's not bad at all. Yeah, I think we we didn't mention this in our description of it, but yeah. So the ad free article support, the companies that are participating get a cut of Twitter Blue. So it is a roundabout. I've said roundabout like three times in the last minute. Way of paying for journalism, uh, which I think is is interesting outside of you know a subscription to that website directly. You also get to upload longer videos. I like that a yeah. lot. I cannot oh, tell you that's how many a really times good feature. We've had to like I just had to alter content that I've wanted to upload uh, to Twitter because it's just like you know shaving what I mean? it it's down like twenty bit bit. seconds too short. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. Because 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 they limit you to two hundred two two minutes and forty seconds, and mm-hmm. um, which is clever, but but not or two or, or whatever it is, but, but not helpful. And um, yeah. The uh, it's 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 280 seconds, I think, is, is what the total amount is. And so, uh, it, you know, so a little over, you know, so just a couple of minutes and, and it sucks. And in the past, how you got around that, most people didn't know this, is you had to contact someone at Twitter in partnerships and get your account like 
whitelisted so that you could upload longer videos. And okay. if you don't know someone in partner, so like, so you would see a lot of like official brand accounts and whatnot. This is how I know this because I had to go through this process myself for like an official Microsoft account that we needed to be able to like upload longer videos to. And um, I had to like contact people who used to work at Twitter to like find out, okay, who are the people I would talk to and whatnot. And like, that's how you had to get it done. Um, now it's, it's 10 minutes which I think is a good length. Um, there, there might be for some, you know, people they might have even longer things. I feel like ten minutes is about the maximum amount of the video that I would want to watch on Twitter. Like for anything sure. else, I feel like I just need to go to YouTube. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, it's a nice cap for creators. As a as a user, I feel like I would uh, become. <laughs> uh, I, I I would want to get away from it quickly because that's not how I how my Twitter experience generally exactly. goes. But I like it as a creator, as a potential cap. Um, and then maybe user's habits will change over time because that feature's there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it helps too, because, you know, Twitter has the feature, at least in iOS, I don't know how it works on, on Android or anything where you can have the picture and picture thing. If you're watching a video on Twitter, then like you can be scrolling through and it'll like show up like picture in picture and still be playing that i like so that's cool and so i think that if you have that ability like thinking about for creators you know if you could upload some longer content and know that people would be able to have that experience where they can still scroll and read stuff because that's honestly a frequent way that i would use something like oh you know what i might want to listen to this i don't necessarily want to watch it or maybe i'll look up if something sounds interesting but you know I'm, i'm just going through my timeline and now i can still watch what I need that on, frankly, is YouTube, but in a way where like it'll allow you to do that if you're browsing the rest of YouTube. It doesn't do picture in picture when you're scrolling down through the comments on a video. I and I find that so mm. unintuitive. I know. Um, anyway, that's another topic. So you two are both subscribing to Twitter Blue. I'm sure yes. you'll continue to tell us how it is. I'm not subscribing to it because it's frugal fun fall and yeah. I'm smart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no one is surprised. If anyone has a rocket drinking game at home, you're taking a drink for Simone is not spending money on something. <laughs> I mean, it's. I don't feel like the the value is here. I would not suggest oh, yeah. someone buy this. Um, it doesn't. The ad free stuff is nice, but you know the truth is, I subscribe to WSJ, New York Times. I, I don't even know how many newspapers I've subscribed to. You know, if you uh, do Apple News, you get a lot of additional newspapers, even though it's impossible to log in on Twitter with them. Yeah. <laughs> so you end up like <laughs> copying and pasting the article and looking for it somewhere else. Uh, you know, getting business insider and feeling good about supporting uh, Simone at work. That's good. I like that. Uh, But uh, the undo feature is not an undo feature. It's just an added step with the modal dialogue. It's just like uh, Gmail's unsend feature. It's the exact same thing. Um, 100%. Which, which, to be fair, this is a really, really difficult problem and probably an impossible problem for them to solve because the problem is Mm -hmm. this is why you can't have an edit button. I mean, you could. But you would have to permanently edit what the tweet said, which we've seen this as a, as a problem before. Like when Facebook is, has implemented that, the problem is, is people can make stuff say whatever they want after Famously the on Tumblr, it was yes. uh, used to great yes. and terrible effect. <laughs> yes. I was going to say Tumblr has, as I was actually going to bring up Tumblr because Tumblr has seen this effect uh, many times with the with the retweet function where people change you know, or the retumble function where they where it, where it changes what they were um, replying to, and and chaos resumes. And the same thing is true with Facebook. 
the only way I think you could do it would be if you somehow had some sort of like notice in the tweet that showed what it had been before and you could view it. That would be complicated. That would require weird additions to the database. And that would also, and this is an important thing for at least how Twitter works, it would break the way embeds work because how how an embed works is that it has the the text in it. So if the tweet goes away, you still see what the text was. You don't see the image, but but it's linking to, you know, like – whatever, whatever, you know, something to display what the tweet was at that time, but it would break embeds. So I understand why having a true edit function is not ideal, but this, you're exactly right. It's not an edit thing. It's, it's a limit. Like I had to, I set mine to five seconds and I've still sent typos. And most of the time what I do is I wind up. Well, yeah, if you're setting it to five seconds, of course you are. Well, no, because otherwise (laughs) if it's longer than that, then you, you can manually send it faster. I call it Hit button. Sorry, you're gonna have to bleep that. Um, uh, but um, and and it was funny because Twitter, like people from Twitter who work on the product, like quote tweeted me when I was explaining how it worked, and and that was how I described it. But rather because you, it, it says send it, you know, anywhere or whatever. There's like a send it button, and I'm, I'm like, no, this is the effort button. Um, I wish that it said that. That would be fun. But <laughs> you know, you have to like, like Bree was saying, you're looking at it and you're like, this looks fine to me, and then it's only after it's live and you're like cursing you know because it's right. yeah. so yeah i i feel like it might be useful i will probably wind up turning let's, it off uh, let's move on from this one well, for now if i could just say one yes. thing about that before we do move on uh you know i think that i agree with you christina that like a a permanent edit button uh would introduce all kinds of problems to twitter uh, especially people's reputation but i think if you're locking it to you know, 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, that's just, you know, there's a real limit to how viral something could go in 30 seconds, you know, right. creating a problem like that. So I, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if like Twitter at one point, like refactored their whole back end to make this possible. It just, it seems like that is for $3 a month, that is a feature that I, 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 I could see ways to do it and bring it and make it. No, I, it I, I agree. You know? I agree. And maybe it'll evolve over time. I mean, I think that's that's the mm-hmm. important thing. Final thing I'll say on yeah. this is, yeah. you know, people have been begging companies for years to charge them for their services. Yep. You know, please mm-hmm. charge me. I'll pay for this. I'll pay for that. Now, most people won't, of course. Brie and I, we famously met on app.net where we did actually put our money where our, yeah. where our mouth was. Yeah. But so even if this isn't for everybody, and I don't think it is. I agree with Brie. Like, I wouldn't recommend people go out and do it. I bought it, but I buy everything. Um, yeah. and, and I also feel like a certain amount of kinship, like I feel like I owe a certain amount of my career and my life to Twitter. So I, Same. you know, there's like, there's a certain amount of like emotionality that I shouldn't have with corporations, but I do anyway, who cares? Yeah. So I'm paying for it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it for other people. I don't think it necessarily makes sense unless you're, you fit this demographic of power user with who's indiscriminate with your income. But <laughs> I do hope that this is good feedback, both for maybe how it can become better over time. And I, I think that, you know, this is a, a nice opportunity for us to actually see, you know, we've been begging for these social media companies to give us the option to pay. Let's let's see what that actually looks like and, and yes. what that Christina, could be. I would like you to put indiscriminate power user in your Twitter bio. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
All right. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Do you ever type the same thing over and over and over again? Whether it's customer support answers, sales emails, or document edits, or tags in your YouTube videos or like the URL to your show notes, uh, typing things repetitively or using copy and paste can be a burden. That is where Text Expander comes in. With Text Expander, you and your team can keep your message consistent, save time and be even more productive and be accurate every time. The way we work is changing rapidly. Make work happen wherever you are by saying more in less time and with less effort using Text Expander. Uh, Christina, you are a long time uh, say more, less effort Text Expander user, uh, not only in your current job, but also in your previous jobs. Do you, okay, do you remember what the first thing you used Text Expander for was? Okay, Sorry I'm going to put you on the spot. No, no. Well, I'm going to go through. I'm going to look. I have text expander up right now and I'm trying to like look and see what it was. There were things. Yes, I do actually. Okay. So when I worked at the unofficial weblog, unofficial Apple weblog, RIP, um, there were various things that I would need to like, like names and stuff I would need to recorrect. And I think that one of the early ones that I did was when the iPhone 3GS came out, Apple was weird about the spacing with the name. And so it was 3G space S. And Hmm. so I had a text expander snippet to automatically replace any instance of me typing in 3GS with the correct spacing. Oh, that's funny. That's cool. Okay. That's great. (laughs) Well, if you too would like to be like Christina and never make a mistake again... As a listener of Rocket, you can get 20% off your first year of Text Expander. Visit textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. That is textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander from Smile for their support of this show and of Relay FM. All right, we're back at it again in the metaverse, folks. Last month, after we recorded our Facebook papers show about the uh, leak, uh, the whistleblower leak of all the papers showing Facebook employees' dialogue about the company and its doings, um, Facebook went on to make a curious announcement. It is rebranding as Meta. And Mark Zuckerberg has said important, valuable things like the metaverse is the next frontier and that they are going to unlock a massively bigger creator economy, which is so fun. What it boils down to in normal language is that Facebook wants to get in on the creator-driven influencer-tastic power that other platforms like TikTok and YouTube and Facebook's own Instagram have leveraged to great profit, uh, but which Facebook has notoriously struggled with. It is a huge platform, or at least a struggle with that, certainly in the US. It's a huge platform. And I know of a lot of creators who might have Facebook groups where they do stuff, notably some authors I follow do this, but it doesn't have the same sort of viral fan power that these other platforms have. Uh, So in a concrete sense, although none of this feels actually concrete, 
Mark Zuckerberg appears to vision this sort of like uh, Habbo Hotel, new Habbo Hotel, if anyone ever played that, a, a digitally, a, a digital augmented or virtual reality layer over our life. Uh, some of the examples that he showed were workouts in the metaverse where you're fighting a big boss, uh, which is just ring fit, or uh, streaming a digital concert to your friends or a virtual workspace that you can access from your terrible home workspace, which, to be fair, I would like. (laughs) (laughs) And in a more and more concrete sense, this is something that Mark Zuckerberg himself has obviously wanted for a very long time, uh, but also the whose particular timing is the perfect opportunity to pull attention away from Facebook's various global atrocities. I'm not saying in any way that this is something that they ginned up in the last week to do that. It's been in the works for a long time, but the timing of the announcement is auspicious. Um, the other important aspect I think of this that I want to touch on is that it's not in any sense new or unique or revolutionary. Facebook might envision this global all-encompassing metaverse uh, in the same way that its terrible, terrible app has 3 billion users and is the de facto internet in some countries, but in many ways little fractured versions or rather large fractured versions of a quote-unquote metaverse exist on platforms like Minecraft and Second Life and Roblox and GTA Online and to in another to some extent Fortnite um, and a ton of other places as well. So Facebook's version of this is is bigger and maybe more diversified in the way that the Facebook app itself is a, a behemoth and a mess, but it's not unique. So is there any chance that this incredible digital world that Facebook envisions will actually come to exist? Uh, there is a great interview in the Intelligence Area uh, that I read with Scott Galloway where he argues that, like Portal and Libra before it, Metaverse is the next $10 billion insect hitting the windshield of reality for Facebook, uh, which mm. to me felt pretty apt. But I'm interested yeah. in hearing what you two think about this whole announcement. And do we have to call it Meta now? We don't. And I'm, I refuse to. Okay. I I have a lot to say about this. Um, You know, I think if listeners go back and listen to early episodes of Rocket, I think to a person here, we have more than given VR and AR a fair shake and evaluated it. I personally have built uh, at least three game prototypes using Unreal Engine and, you know, VR. Uh, like, that's that's pretty seriously getting into this. Uh, you know, uh, we've talked about AR on this show. We've covered VR games to a ridiculous degree. Um, and y'all, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all of us have come to the conclusion that there's, there's something fundamentally flawed with VR. Uh, not that it's it's not a good experience sometimes. It's just, um, it's like an arcade, right? Like it's something you want to mm-hmm. experience for a while, but there's just something about it that you don't want to spend all of your time there. Um, is that a good summation yes. of how the two of you feel? Yes. Totally agree. Yeah. So I've I've thought about this so much with this announcement. And... I think that Mark Zuckerberg is really, really wrong on this. And I'm going to talk about this from like a gameplay systems analysis. There's an assumption with VR and the metaverse that this is somehow a more immersive or a better experience 
than what you get uh, with traditional like social media or movies or video games, you know, that kind of interactive experience. That's the assumption, right? There's like Snow right. Crash or Ready Player One that's somehow better. But I think if that core assumption with the technology were true, I think the early adopters would really, really believe in it. Like the Christinas and Brianna's of the world would be all in on this. I mean, when mm. I got an MP3 player, I was in on that from the word go. When I got mm-hmm. an iPhone, I was in on that from the word go. When I got a laptop, I never turned back. The things that are truly, truly revolutionary they they catch on quick and even if they're flawed like the palm pilot like you speak back on it with like a lot of love right and i think every vr system i've had and i have all of them at this point it ultimately ends up in a drawer and i want to talk from like a gameplay point of view why i think that is because i think this is important so If you are trying to immerse a player in an experience, think about video games. Uh, Generally speaking with VR, you have to do everything from the the first-person point of view. When you think about the truly immersive experiences out there that exist, some of them are in first person, right? Like Portal, uh, we'd all agree that's an exceptionally immersive game, Mm -hmm. but not all of them. Like, Like, think about Civ. Think about Mass Effect, which is overwhelmingly third person. You know, think about uh, really getting lost in a Mario game or a Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. What I think VR is doing is it's, it is more immersive in some sense, but it's also really severely limiting the tools that you have for storytelling and gameplay and you've got this whole meta like expense of you feeling disconnected from your body the entire time you're using it so i think there's always going to be some application for for vr out there like games like uh, space pirate trainer or the new resident evil 4 are good Mm -hmm. experiences but there's never going to be a point, I think, where the average person chooses that or pines for that over looking at it on a television screen. So does that make sense to y'all? Like, I just think I think that core assumption is flawed. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. And I do feel like there are interesting ideas in what um you know, will come of, of the metaverse. I am a little annoyed, as I think a lot of people are. Like, Facebook is not the only company that has been involved in this space. A lot of other companies are, too. Naming the, the company Meta, which I refuse to call it, uh, it, it because that's just such a... Uh, it's so clear-cut why they are changing the name of the company. And so I refuse to call them Meta. Uh, they it, it will be Facebook. I, I don't care what its, you know, legal entity name is. I don't care. Um I feel like there are a lot of opportunities for people to explore this space. There was there was actually a really interesting um, essay I read um, uh, like like ten or eleven days ago uh, from Clive Thompson, who's a contributor to the New York Times Magazine and Wired and some other places, and it's uh, called uh, "The Metaverse is Already Here: It's Minecraft." And I thought that that was actually a really provocative kind of essay about the fact that we do already have, to your point, Bree, some of these really immersive experiences that exist without necessarily needing to have, you know, this AR component with it. And and I also feel like 
this is it kind of highlights one of the flaws that we've had with the 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 reason AR and VR haven't taken off yet. There and we've talked about this many times over the years on this show. There hasn't been a killer app. There hasn't been an experience that is so enhanced and so great and a game that is just so good. There's been no Mario 64 of, you know, mm-hmm. AR and VR. And that's not to say that there won't be. But I'm personally not compelled by any of the experiences that we've seen from any of the companies about the metaverse. Like, you know, recreating real life, sitting in team stuff and chatting with people like where I look like a cartoon avatar does nothing for me. Right. Like, I I don't care, you know, but I I do think that there will be experiences that can, especially with with AR stuff that, that could really bring you into something and that you could do some really inventive stuff. I haven't seen anything yet. I think that they will come. Hopefully, uh, I worry a little bit that by Facebook and some of the other corporations, like, getting in on it and talking it up with the hype so early, I do worry about, like, does this make it less cool automatically? Does this ruin it, so to speak? Does this, you know, um, discourage people from exploring what could be? I, and I, I don't have an answer for that, but, but that is something I, I think about. Like, does, does you know, Facebook's association – um, like hinder this just because no matter how brilliant John Carmack is, people look at Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg and they're just like, I don't want to touch this. No, a hundred percent. John Carmack had some just absolutely brilliant critiques of this. Yes. Um, Christina. So he said, you know, I fundamentally don't agree with this direction in an article. He was like, you know, you can't sit down and say, I just want to, create a metaverse, right? What you can do is he likened it to his early days of Doom. So when they created Doom, they wanted to make a game. That was the purpose of it. And then along the way of creating this game, they created a bunch of really interesting technologies that helped FPSs become a really established established genre. You had WAD files, uh, these massive files that you were able to patch after the fact and make like aliens, uh, you know, packs for it to mod do. You had the multiplayer, right? Like the 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 early internet infrastructure to make deathmatches possible. Um, you know, you had all those technologies that they invented along the way. And then that opened up the way for the modern first-person shooter. So what he was suggesting is it makes more sense for Facebook to commit itself to trying to do something very specific. And something he suggested is Facebook's really big conference next year. Let's commit to having it 100% on uh, in a metaverse-like app. Because what will this do? This will force us to figure out a bunch of things. We'll have to figure out the audio technology and the latency and the infrastructure backend to have a bunch of people in one space at one time. We'll have to figure out how to get a bunch of users into a place at the same time. So you know, doing that rather than like committing to this really long, ambitious project that's like, hey, I'm going to create a monopoly in this space before you've even hired a single, you know, like built a single thing and presented it to the public. This is exactly how Magic Leap ended up failing. Right. So I, I just, uh, I think, you know, when we think about 
what the future often looks like with these revolutionary technologies at this point. There's not one social media network. There's really like three or four, mm-hmm. you know, there's, uh, you know, there's three video game makers, essentially, you know, it's there. And I think if this were to catch on, I don't think it will, but I think if it did, you would have uh, to a certain degree, a, um, a, a, a set of competing standards and experiences from different companies with different priorities. So I, I just, I think the execution is flawed. The idea is flawed. I, I agree with you, Simone. This is going to be another bug on the windshield. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can only really echo what you two have said very eloquently. I was just looking at Facebook and was just reminded that it is kind of a mess just, just to look at and to navigate as a user and it's it's not a compelling looking product. And I even though they have some of the most talented software engineers and designers in the world, it, it's a struggle for me to imagine how that translates to something immersive that I want to engage with compulsively, which I think is what they want. Um, and to your point about uh, televisions, like playing games and being immersed with a game on a television, I think if you look at any of the digital experiences we have these days, it, it it is super easy to become immersed no matter the size of your screen, no matter the the quality of your your headphones, whether you're using the, you know the old AirPods or, or AirBuds or the fancy new AirPods Pro or Bose headphones whatever. Like you can scroll on TikTok for hours, you can watch YouTube videos for hours. This weekend I was playing this like voxel game called Moonglow Bay, which I'm obsessed with, which is a little bit buggy. Um on with um Xbox Game Pass. I played that thing for seven hours a day, two days in a row, and I wanted to stop. (laughs) But I was immersed. (laughs) And that's not great. I'm not bragging about that. It was terrible. And I should have done literally anything else with my time. Um, Even though the game is very good. I just it's already on my game of the year list. I didn't need to spend three more days playing it. Anyway, the point is, like you said, Brie, immersion is not about like being placed, being disembodied and having your your eyes placed in this virtual world. It is about something a little more ineffable than that. Um, and it, I think it's also a very individual experience. Like not everyone would have this horrible compulsive experience that I had this weekend. Um, so, and and it kind of, when I think about say having a a virtual office to go into, like I said, in my little intro, I kind of like the idea of that because I I like thinking about seeing a, a space that's a little more organized than my room to work in. But also I, if I think th- fully through that idea and think about the experience of like taking off the Oculus at the end of the day and coming back from that virtual space, it's a it's a very disorienting thought to me. And I don't necessarily like the idea of being cut off from the physical world in a long-term sense rather than just for an experience, like a, as a theme park sort of experience uh what was the metaphor that you used brie um it was very good 
<laughs> I'm not sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's like a temporary experience. It's something that you you go into and you have a good time, but it doesn't need to be part oh, of oh, your everyday yeah. world. An arcade, an arcade. An arcade, yes, an arcade experience. Um yeah, it, that yeah, I so I I'm kind of uncomfortable with the idea. And there, there's another to finish off this topic, there's another great point in uh the Scott Galloway interview that I really seized upon. Uh, which is, uh, he says, the people with the most options in the world, specifically Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and Mark Zuckerberg, either want to be off the planet or they want to create a different universe on this planet. It feels like the mother of all abdications. We don't want to improve the world. We want to go to a different world. It seems somewhat nihilistic and strange. And like, I'm not, uh, you know, they can do whatever they want. I'm constantly annoyed with these guys uh, and feel like they're wasting their incredible power. But I I do find it strange. I I find it a strange little trend that Zuckerberg is so enamored with this idea of a virtual world that they the company has chosen this moment to announce that it is pivoting away from reality at a time when we are more aware than ever of the terrible things that Facebook has wrought on this world where we all live. So mm-hmm. that's how I feel. Just one last thing before we move on. Yeah. That's so well said, Simone. I couldn't agree more. Um, I've read both Snow Crash and Ready Player One, both of those books, at least 10 times. Uh, Snow Crash is one of my favorite novels, if one not my favorite novels. It's it's amazing. Uh Neither of these novels are destinations we want to go to. Both of the <laughs> novels are, 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 are warnings of that world and how dis- – like both these are novels about dystopia and you know the sequel to Ray Player One even more so. So I wish the people that want to build these things understood the source material a little bit more because it's all about the the fraying and the thinness of the the social connection in that world mm-hmm. and how you're 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 you are trading reality for something that's just methadone. And I think it it, it I think this is why we should teach liberal arts in school, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our fun dessert topic. You're all going to jail. (laughs) At Web Summit 2021, Craig Federighi has given an impassioned speech bemoaning sideloading, that nefarious process the criminals all over the world love of putting apps on your phone without going through the app store, just downloading whatever you want and installing it on your device. This comes at a time when the European Commission is considering an act uh, which would force Apple to allow sideloading on iPhones or be fined. Uh, there are some just juicy, juicy quotes coming out of this and previous comments that Tim Cook made earlier this month. Uh, Federighi says, sideloading is a cyber criminal's best friend. And to really emphasize that, it was also on a big screen behind him with those words, printed large for the world to see. Sideloading is a cyber criminal's best friend and requiring that on the iPhone would be a gold rush for the malware industry. Um, Saying that provision in the DMA could force every iPhone user into a landscape of professional con artists constantly trying to fool them. That's just the internet. Uh, This follows Tim Cook's comments at New York Times Dealbook Summit that if users want to sideload, 
they can get an Android phone. And furthermore, from our point of view, begin quote, it would be like if I were an automobile manufacturer telling a customer not to put airbags and seatbelts in the car. Uh, this, of course, comes at a time not only when the European Commission is considering, you know, forcing Apple to allow side loading, uh, but also when the App Store's uh, Apple's App Store paycheck has had a slice taken out of it by a judge's mandate that developers be allowed to link to third party options for purchases. So Tim Cook says that the iPhone is a car with airbags. Craig Federighi says it is a house that we need to keep locked. What do you all think before I call the police and send you to jail <laughs> for your uh, app crimes, past, present, and future. <laughs> I I don't even know where to where to start with this sort of like this is like some don't copy that floppy BS. Like honestly, like okay, Apple, I get that you're trying to do this big PR offensive because um, you're worried that you were going to be required to allow people to sideload. Um, as we've discussed on the show, I don't think that requiring it is actually a good thing. Um, I don't think that having alternative app stores is a positive thing. But people already have ways of getting like different types of apps on their phones. Also, there's already malware on the app store. People using like like zero-day exploits have hacked into people's iMessage and stolen their data and tracked journalists. Do not pretend like you don't have actual security concerns that are not detectable and that are pretty heinous. So I don't know. I hear this and I'm just like, this is just, this feels like the most gross way of getting this argument across of being like, it's a cyber criminal's best friend or conflating it with not having airbags or seatbelts in your car. Like, are you serious? Like, (sighs) I just, I can't help but roll my eyes and just be like, if I didn't like the product so much and if I wasn't so embedded in this opera- in, in this ecosystem, you would quit I would, just I would, out of petty annoyance. <laughs> yes. Out of petty annoyance, I would just be like giving the giant middle finger because that's about how I feel. I feel like, okay, as a user, you're basically saying you have no autonomy. You have no like sense of self of anything. Like, as, you as, little as people- fool. We can't let you access the internet. Exactly. You download – Thought products from there. <laughs> correct, correct. Like somebody on Twitter responded, this was great. Like, what happened to the computer being the bicycle for the mind, which is how Steve Jobs described it. And exactly what did happen to the computer being the bicycle for the mind? If if you're going to say, oh, we have to, we know better. This is this is the protectionism stuff I've I've railed about before. You know, Apple's like, we're the only ones who who understand things and we know better. So we will determine how you can use your things. And as uh, pointed out in, I think, the Ars Technica piece that I read about this, the computer, Apple's computers are the bicycle for the mind and allow you to download apps that yeah. aren't from the App Store and install them. I, and you know why they let you do that? Because why? they have to. Yeah. I guarantee you that if Apple had its way and if they had, they felt like they could get away with forcing everyone to use the Mac App Store and only download things that Apple approves and wants, that they would enforce that. I guarantee it. But they can't because of precedent. But, you know, I mean, as we discussed last week, that the process of even installing Audio Hijack, which is from a verified developer that they know, that they've mm-hmm. like worked with and they've promoted, is so egregious on the new machines. And it's not audio. It's not Roku Amoeba's fault. It's, it's a decision by Apple. But, like, this is a point. Like, you could have... The notarized process, you could still have the approval process where applications would still have to, you know, be scanned and have, be notarized and be signed before they could be run. 
but still be siloed. And like, again, mm-hmm. I'm not arguing in favor of saying you need to, they need to have alternative app stores, but I just feel like the the language being used here is just ridiculous. And and to me, I just feel like really just I don't know, just it makes me feel gross. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I couldn't agree think, more. Um you know, Christina, you said it all. Like uh obviously I don't think the iPhone ecosystem would work well with sideloading. Like it is, it is my choice that I use, but it's also it's a strong platform that I feel comfortable recommending to tackle literate people like my husband. Right? Like it's a it's a relatively safe environment, and you know, to be clear, I'm sure he's talking about protecting normal users. But you're you're dead on. Look at all the hell that has been unleashed with the Mac App Store. Like, uh, you know, with me today. Uh, if you buy or download anything like expensive, extremely expensive software like Maya, mm-hmm. um, trying to get Maya 64 to run on a modern Mac is a complete pain in the butt, but partially because of like all the security things that they've, they've built into it. Am I supposed to just throw away a, a program? I spent what? Six thousand dollars buying, I right. mean, I'm just not going to do that. So, I I agree with you. It's about control at a certain point, and uh, it just the the clips and the photos to come out of here. It's if you've ever wanted to see Craig uh, Federighi in front of like these glowing neon cubes, like it's Far Cry <laughs> Three Blood Dragon. Uh, please look at some of the uh, the the things we'll leave in the show notes. It's hilarious. But I I found this a very uh, patron and uh you know what it's like it's like obama i like obama but when obama yeah, gives a on. speech there's like 10 percent of him like he's your dad lecturing you he's a little disappointed in you it's that same vibe i got from this <laughs> <laughs> yeah very dramatic love the aesthetics keep that great stuff apple great design um the messaging uh, a little condescending <laughs> All right. So that's our dessert for today. Uh, Brianna, why don't you go ahead and tell us what you are up to this week? Um, you know, I am in Florida uh, for my surgery next uh, next week, uh, which is going to be terrible. So uh, just enjoying uh, some sunshine. And then I'm getting back to uh, back to Boston and uh, I'm going to deal with that. So there it is. Hey, hope you're having fun. Uh, Christina, what about you? You can find me at film. Uh, what am I doing this week? Uh, I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah, I'm just. I'm. I was Where typing on. <laughs> I was DMing people because I'm going to drinks um, later uh, tonight, which is why we're recording early, which I appreciate. Um, so I'm actually seeing actual human beings, which is really good because Whoa. I haven't been able to do that as much, which is great. And um, oh, my birthday is on Friday, so I will oh, be 29. Happy birthday! Thank you, thank you. So it's my 29th birthday. <clears throat> oh wow! Again, uh, that's amazing. Uh, I know, isn't it? It's just so funny how that keeps working out. Um, so uh, also Taylor Swift's Red, uh, her own version of Red, is also coming out on Friday. So I have like honestly, it, it, it which feels like a personal gift to me because it's my favorite Taylor it Swift is. album. So I feel like that's a really great gift for me. So I'm just going to be really enjoying myself crying and sobbing and being <laughs> mad at Jake Gyllenhaal for stuff that happened a decade ago um, and while uh, celebrating my 29th birthday. So um, I uh, that that's what I'm doing this week. Nice. 
I'm working on a video that's coming out next week, the week after that, who knows? Um, and continuing my mad rush to get in all the games before November 19th. Um, the most recent one, I mentioned Moonglow Bay earlier, it rocks. Uh, it's a bit buggy. People have complained that it doesn't have proper mouse and keyboard support is basically one of the big problems with it. Um it's available on PC and Xbox. I've been playing it on PC, but with an Xbox controller. And that's been totally fine. And I love it. And if you're looking, if you love Stardew Valley and want something similar that you can just sink into for hours and hours and like materially improve a digital community by making, by fishing and then by cooking those fish and selling food made out of those fish uh, and then investing your profits back into the adorable seaside town where you live. This is the game for you. Uh, and more specifically, it's a game that was made specifically for me. Um, <laughs> other than that, I, I played last night this cute game called Tome. That's T-O-E-M, which is a, a camera-based puzzle game that I was initially like, oh, I'm not sure if uh, this is going to go. Uh, it seems like it could be kind of simplistic, but it's not. It is so, so clever. And the art, it's all in black and white with this sort of hand-drawn Paper Mario-esque look. And it is, so it is beautiful, actually. And the puzzles are incredibly clever and the humor is just totally on point. I started playing it last night thinking, I'll dip into this and then I'll go to bed. And I accidentally stayed up till one in the morning because I couldn't stop playing. Uh, I have a problem. <laughs> Uh, but I'll be digging back into that tonight in the hopes of finishing it because I think I'm almost done. Pretty short little game. And that is available on Steam and also on Switch, I believe. So that's what that I'm doing That sounds great. Week. I really want to play that. I wanted to ask you last week after the show, I kicked myself for not asking you this. Have you played Deathloop yet? I have not. Okay. I've watched Pat play it. Do you think I would like it? I I don't know if you would like it. I, I've never heard you say you love a game that is like Deathloop, but I could say Deathloop is by far my game of the year. I mean, Ooh, it is. Nice. I think it really earned that 10 out of 10. Um, you know, it's got really, really deep characterization of, you know, both the, the protagonist and the antagonist. They're She's actually not an antagonist, but, uh, you know, the gameplay <laughs> is amazing. The aesthetics are, are perfect. It's, it's really deep and it is, it takes a while to get its hooks into you, but it is, it's really, really good, Simone. And, uh, you know, obviously the game I like doesn't have to be what you like, but, uh, it, it got 10 out of 10 for a reason by many outlets. So if you can try it. I, I appreciate the endorsement. I feel like I've been hesitating to yeah, try it just because it's a, a longer experience. <laughs> and the point that I'm at right now, <laughs> like they're, they're, I, I feel like those games, there are a lot of people on staff who have invested the time in those games. And it's a little mm -hmm. harder for me to do that sometimes. So I kind of try to find stuff that hasn't necessarily gotten as much attention um mm -hmm. and like obviously i'm not the final vote on this it all goes into you know a big pool and then a, a bunch of other people decide what it goes on the list um but i will i'll keep that in mind because I'm, I'm doing pretty good on my list and i think i'm gonna have room to tr to dig into some like bigger games before my deadline um games that i should have played when they came out 
like Deathloop because everyone said it was very good. <laughs> okay. Hey, now it's your time to tell us where we can find you online. Christina, where is that again? Yes. Yeah, so now I can actually talk correctly. And I, I want to play Deathloop now, too, because I haven't played that. Okay. Um, so uh, you can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams. Remember, follow me on Instagram because if I get 10,000 followers, then I'll wear a clippy costume. Um, please do it. I'm like, I'm lots and lots of people away, but maybe I'll, I'll actually actively try to get followers and, and do that. Um, but yeah, film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams and, and be sure to celebrate, um, a red day with me on Friday. And Brianna, what about you? You can find me on, uh, yeah, you could find me on Twitter, but follow Christina on Instagram. I want to see that clippy <laughs> costume. Make it happen. <laughs> All right. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at doomquasar and at youtube.com slash polygon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rockets. I hope that you liked it. And if you did, you can always let us know directly by reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts and giving it the big, big five oh stars, big five stars. We love to see it and we appreciate it when it happens. Thank you so much, everyone. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.